Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What's up, party people? How's it going this morning? Pretty good? You hear us like squeaking our shoes? Like while we're setting stuff up on stage, we're supposed to be all incognito. Anyway, so, um, you know, there's a huge part of our church that attends online. It's people that, especially this weekend, because it's 4th of July weekend, they're off doing other things and they tune in online. So do you guys mind welcoming the online people with me this morning, making sure they can hear us, making sure we know they're here and we love them. Thank you guys. If you're watching online, thanks for taking the time to tune in this morning um, on Facebook or on YouTube or however you're watching. So... Um, if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, I'm Nathan, the worship pastor here, and the one that has all the stories that she was just talking about. And uh, so some of you, I've, I've met quite a bit of the people here. I mean, I've been here a few months now, but not everybody. So um, you're welcome to fight the crowds <laughs> to come see me this morning. I'm just kidding. It's not going to be like that. So, but you're welcome to stop me in the halls or anything whenever you see me and uh, introduce yourself. And I'll do my absolute best to remember names, but um, I have met a lot of people recently, so that's kind of difficult, but I'll do my best. Eventually, I'll remember every single person's name, but uh, I'm Nathan. I'm the worship pastor here, and from time to time, uh, I get to stop singing, and I get to start talking, so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to talk. You guys ready to have a little chat? Yeah? All right, let's do this. How do we hear God's voice? It's kind of a heavy opening line, right? How do we hear God's voice? Now, this isn't gonna be like a theological long breakdown of how to hear God's voice. I just wanna give you um, a little basis for kind of what we're doing right now is I personally think that there are four ways that we hear God's voice. And uh, most of the time, the way we hear God fits into one of these four ways. First of all, we hear God through prayer. So we, we talk to God and talk, God talks back to us. Um, and sometimes we just, a good Good prayer sometimes is being quiet, right? Giving God a chance to say something. And some people say in their prayer life, they hear God speak in an audible voice. Some people in their prayer life, they say that they get like this small, still, quiet voice or a feeling or a thought that they know wasn't their own. But that's one of the ways God speaks to us, through our prayer. Another way that God speaks to us is, um, is through people. So Sometimes someone will walk into your life and have this word of encouragement at just the right time or even a word of correction at just the right time. Um, somebody that gives you a warning, somebody that gives you just gives you that word that you really need, something from God. So God speaks to us through people. The, another way, a third way, is God speaks to us through opportunities, right? So maybe for a few months, you've been feeling restless, you've been feeling like something's stirring, something's about to change, and then all of a sudden you get this new job opportunity that you're ready to jump on. You know God is sending this to you. God's been preparing you for this. God speaks to us through our opportunities. But I think the number one way, the most um, reliable, simple, accessible way to hear God speak is through his word, through the Bible. God speaks to us through his word. And I think if we want to get familiar with God's voice in all these other ways, we need to get familiar with God's word, right? Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you, whoever that was. Y'all can keep chatting up to me. You don't got to be scared. I'm not going to come down and I might call you out like that because I like you. But, um, but so first he wants to speak to us through his word. So we're in a series right now called The Best Chapter Ever. And Pastor Michael 
Last week, uh, the, our youth pastor preached, Pastor Michael Liebelt, and he preached from what he thinks is the best chapter ever. But this week, uh, there's another thing coming. Nate P's got the best chapter ever. So as I know it's all from the Bible, right? So like, don't, you don't have to email me about how heretical it is that I think that there's a best chapter in the Bible. It's all God's word, okay? It's all the Holy Spirit breathes word of God. But thank you. Yes, it is. But let's be honest. If you got kids, you say you don't have a favorite, right? But we know, we know you got a favorite. It's kind of like that. I don't want to have to pick a favorite, but if I had to pick a favorite, this might be one of the options, okay? Um, One of the objectives in this series, best chapter ever, one of the objectives is to empower you guys to be able to study your Bible and to study it well. So we share, we're sharing a few different Bible study methods and giving you information about those methods so that you can apply those in your own quiet time. You can take time throughout the week when you're praying your, praying your Bible. When you're praying or reading your Bible, you can take time to do one of these Bible study methods. So if you see on the, there's this little bookmark on your, uh, on your seat, right? If you didn't take one last week, please take one this week. It's not theft, Okay, you don't gotta be afraid that you're stealing from the church. It's okay, we're giving it to you. And you can take this, put it in your Bible, slip it somewhere you're gonna see it every day or whenever you pull out your Bible. And we have these, last week, Pastor Michael preached and he covered this first one. It's called the SOAP method. And this week I'm preaching, we're gonna talk about the thematic method, okay? And Michael did an awesome job last week. So if you guys haven't listened to the message last week, I definitely advise you to go check on YouTube, on Facebook, find last week's message. It's definitely worth the 30 minutes or so to watch it. Um, Michael was so good last week. So, so we've got the thematic method. Now the thematic method is approaching a, a biblical theme with a set of questions. So, and we do this because we want to discover exactly what the Bible says about a certain topic or subject or theme, and we want to be able to apply that to our lives. So we, what we do essentially is we pick a theme, we pick a couple of questions we want to ask about that theme, and then we start looking up Bible verses and scripture where that's addressed in the Bible, and we start seeing exactly how the Bible answers that. And you might look in one chapter, you might look throughout a whole book or even the entire Bible and spread out your study. That's what I did, okay? I'm pulling from the entire Bible for this message today. I know this is called the best chapter ever, not the best Bible ever. I get that, but we're getting to the chapter, okay? We just got to lay some groundwork first. So this might feel a little academic for just a second, but are you guys okay with that? All right, I just need to make sure you're going to be awake through this part, right? Okay, because... We gotta lay some groundwork. This is a race. We gotta make sure we all start at the same starting point, okay? So I'm gonna try to get, get everybody up to speed at the same starting point. So since this is the thematic method, I am the worship pastor, so it might seem a little cliche, but you can probably guess what theme I decided I was gonna preach from today. I am preaching from Revelation and the end times. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. That's ridiculous. There was no way that my first time ever preaching on this stage was going to be about Revelation in times. That's a great Bible study. If you want to start doing some of that, that's not, I'm, I am going to preach about praise and worship. Okay. That is what I'm going to preach about. I was just kidding about the first one. Um, and if that, if that's a problem, if you want somebody to preach about Revelation, you can text or uh, email michael.liebelt. Last week he did it to me, so. Um, so yes, we're gonna talk about praise and worship. And the question I wanna ask, so we've got a theme, and the question I wanna ask is, is there a difference between praise 
and worship. So we're gonna separate those two words. We say praise and worship so much together. We're gonna separate them. Is there a difference between praise and worship? Praise and worship are so often used together in church that our current vernacular, almost, they almost mean the same thing. But in the Bible, they're not identical. They are related, they are similar, but they're not the same thing. So we're gonna figure out, using the thematic method, exactly what are the differences between praise and worship? And then why does that matter? How do we utilize those differences? So, I, again, I don't have time to go through the entire Bible study that I did. So here's, I'm gonna, you're gonna kinda, have you ever drank from a water hose, like outside when you were a kid? Have you ever drank from a fire hydrant? Because that's what this is gonna feel like, okay? I'm gonna give you a lot of information really quickly. So if you take notes, if you have the, if you have the app out, right, the Pathways app, there's a spot to take notes in there. If you have a pen and paper, if you, have, if you take notes on your phone or whatever, however you take notes, if you're about to do that right now, if you're online and you're gonna take notes, this is your chance, okay, to have a pen and paper, stretch your wrist, because you're about to do a lot of writing in a short amount of time, all right? I'm going to, uh, thank you for showing me your pens. I know some students are ready. Um, so make sure your hands are loose. So in order to cover what the difference is between praise and worship, we kind of have to define them separately. So what is worship? I'm gonna give you a few of the scriptures I found and the takeaways that I got from those scriptures. In John 4, 23, it tells us that we should worship in spirit and in truth. So we know the takeaway from that, something we learned from that, is there is a spiritual connection that happens in worship. That's something that we've kind of experienced, right? We feel that when we're here on a Sunday morning. It's not emotional, but it does stir up some emotions, right? It's not like just the experience with the lights and stuff, but it's something about the spiritual connection. But it also says, and in truth. So there's also a mental connection, understanding who God really is, getting to learn the truth about our God, our Savior, and being able to apply that in every part of our life. It's truth doesn't just happen when we're in this building on Sunday morning. So we're starting to get the idea that maybe worship happens more than just during the concert segment of a church service, right? Spirit and in truth. Luke 4, 8 says to worship the Lord and serve only him. So if it's telling us to do something, we have to know it's possible to do something else, right? If it says, A, this is what you need to do, we know there must be another option. So if it's telling us to worship God and worship only him, then there must be a chance that we can worship things that are not God. And the Bible is instructing us to worship God and to worship only him, not your spouse or your kids, not your job, uh, not your favorite sports team, like Adam with the Bears, right? Isn't that kind of weird? That's a little weird, right? He's totally gonna say something about this, like calling me out in Packers territory about liking the Bears. So not your favorite sports team, not your status, we don't worship our status. We shouldn't worship our comfort. We can. We can worship those things. We can glorify those things to a level that they're the most important things in our life. But the Bible's instructing us not to, to keep God our, our center of worship. Also, Psalm 95.6 says to worship, bow down, and kneel. Which is interesting because all these, the first two things that we looked at, they don't say anything about a physical action. But for some reason, this brings in physical action. I don't think the physical action is the most important part. I think what these actions mean is kind of what they stand for. Here's what I mean is bowing down and kneeling are both positions of surrender that make you very vulnerable. They're also positions of respect and reverence. 
So there's something about an attitude that goes into worship, a vulnerability, an attitude of surrender, an attitude of reverence. So we're starting to get a little picture of what worship is, right? So how do we differentiate that from praise? Let's look at a few scriptures that say, what is praise? Like for instance, all through Psalms, praise is talked about as singing, shouting, dancing, playing music, lifting your hands. Praise sounds kind of like a party, okay? Praise sounds kind of like pathways, like the first 20 minutes of our service every week, right? That's what praise sounds like. Praise sounds like people being loud and crazy, people lifting their hands, people shouting out, people singing. That sounds like music. Like that's what praise sounds like. Another thing is praise in that with it being singing and shouting and dancing and playing music, it means action is required. So one of them, attitude is required. Praise is starting to seem like action is required. Luke 19, 37 through 40, Jesus is coming into a town. He's got a bunch of disciples following him and they're all praising loudly, obnoxiously, right? They're making all this noise and somebody goes up to Jesus and they say, tell your disciples to be quiet. They're apparently, you need a noise violation. They need to tell your guys to be quiet. And Jesus says, if they stop praising, even the rocks will cry out. Because praise, God will not be denied his praise. If we all shut our mouths, we kept our hands in our pockets, even the, every piece of existence celebrates who God is and what he's done. But I don't want to be left out on that. I'm not going to let the rocks do my job. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it as best as I can. So he said, even the rocks will cry out. Hebrews 13, 15, this gets a little different. It says, to bring a sacrifice of praise. So praise is something we do even if it costs us. So with these few scriptures, we're starting to get an idea of how worship is intertwined with surrender, reverence, and attitude. Worship has a lot to do with your internal life and how you, we use the word posture a lot, right? But how you position your attitude, not just your body, but what do you do with your heart and your mind towards God? Worship is intertwined with surrender, reverence, and attitude. Praise is intertwined with thanksgiving, celebration, and physical actions. Things you can actually do. When we praise, we're actually putting physical effort, using our literal, tangible energy to praise God. And both are more than just something that happens in a church service. But here's where we get interesting. Well, I told you we're gonna talk about the best chapter ever, and right now I've just given you a ton of different verses. Well, this is gonna be, this is kind of the rabbit hole I went off on that got me into the best chapter ever. That scripture in Hebrews Hebrews 13 said something that really sticks out to me. It uses the phrase sacrifice of praise. And that's interesting. That's where I kind of got off track a little bit and started pulling on this thread. And when you're doing your Bible study, that's perfectly okay. When something stands out to you, something speaks to you, like pull on that thread a little bit. See what it has to say more about that specific thing if you start getting um, honed in on something specific. So what is this sacrifice of praise? I've heard that phrase my whole life. I actually grew up a pastor's kid. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, this was a pastor's kid. 
Like I was not one of those pastor's kids, okay? Both of my brothers were, but not me. (laughs) They were the ones that, you know, did all the crazy pastor kid stuff. I was a good kid. So when they come, you can make fun of them for that. They'll visit, don't worry. Um, So my dad was a pastor and I heard that phrase all growing up, sacrifice of praise. But it seems kind of mysterious. Like those are words in everyday life you don't really put together very often. So what is that? See, in the context of their culture, they made sacrifices to pay for their sins. So they literally sacrificed animals as a way of paying penance for the things that they've done wrong. But Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He came, he was perfect, and he sacrificed himself so that we would never have to do that again. And he died for all of our sins once and for all. So now, instead of bringing the sacrifice that we used to bring into church, instead of paying for our sins, there's a different type of sacrifice that we're asked to bring, and that is the sacrifice of praise. The question is, is praise really a sacrifice? To be a sacrifice, by definition, you have to lose something valuable, right? You've got to give up something. If I sacrifice my whole day to do something for you, I don't still have that day. That day is gone, right? So what are we losing by praising? That's a weird thought. Like we just come in here and we sing. We might lose our voice if we sing real loud a lot, right? We might lose a little bit of time, but is that really a sacrifice? Maybe the sacrifice that we're making is our pride. When we make it not about us anymore, maybe it's our ego that we're sacrificing. Maybe we're sacrificing some control because we're letting God decide how we spend our time, how I spend my physical bodily actions. What am I gonna do right now? Am I gonna let God dictate and I'm gonna listen to what he's told me to do? I'm gonna praise the way that the Bible instructs. So maybe we lose some control. Maybe we lose, we're sacrificing some of that attitude where we take, uh, praise is the recognition and celebration of God. But we live our life often scared of like the, the big circumstances that we're facing. So we can sacrifice that attitude and take on the attitude of gratefulness. I didn't want to say attitude of gratitude. That felt very middle school, right? So I came so close though. Um, so the attitude of gratefulness, we want to take that on instead. So we sacrifice our, our attitudes. Maybe it's sacrificing our some reputation that we have, don't want to look silly in front of our friends or that image that we think we have to uphold. It's definitely a sacrifice to praise. And the sacrifice of praise in action is our vocal outward display of gratitude and celebration for who God is and what he's done. No matter how silly we feel, no matter how foolish it is or abnormal and weird or awkward we feel or even risky. So that's what brings us to the best chapter ever. So far, the sacrifice of praise is kind of this, in this conversation between us amongst friends here, the conversation about the sacrifice of praise is kind of abstract, right? We've got, we're getting like a, a, an idea of what it could be, but it's still a very abstract thought. So I wanna put some skin on this. I wanna flesh this out a little bit. So there's a story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter four, and that's where we get to the best chapter ever, Pastor Michael, wherever you're at. 2 Kings 4, 1. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys 
as his slaves. Now, this is a huge problem. A lady is coming to Elisha. Elisha is a very popular, famous uh, uh, prophet that we read about a lot in the Old Testament. Elisha, um, very well studied. Uh, she's coming to Elisha, this prophet, very powerful prophet. And she's, she's like, my husband is dead. You know my husband. You used to work with my husband. And he owed a lot of money to some dudes that are coming to take my sons in order to pay his debt. And they're gonna take my sons as slaves. So the danger in this is that when she loses her son, she, her sons, the chances of her surviving for long on her own are very short. See, women weren't allowed to be in the business world as freely as the men were. So her avenue for making an income is through her sons. Also, her protection, her security is in her sons. If she's a widow living at home alone, she's always vulnerable. Also, as she gets older, who's gonna take care of her when she starts losing some of her own ability to take care of herself? Who would do the work when she can't actually work to create money? Her sons. So without her sons, this lady is most likely going to die. It's a much bigger deal than just a cute story, right? So Elisha replied, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? How can I help you is not like when you pull up to Chick-fil-A and they say, how can I help you? I think Elisha said, what, like, what do you want me to do about it? Like your husband's already dead. You're, you already owe all this money. Like how am I supposed to, I, I don't, this is way over my head. So then he brings her into it. He says, what do you have in your house? What have you got that you can put forward for this debt? If you don't want to lose your son, sons, then what do you have you can pay for it? And she says, your servant has nothing there at all except this small jar of olive oil. Nothing there at all except this, there is this one little thing, but I mean like you don't even have to worry about that. It's useless. There is that one small jar of olive oil, but like that can't go towards that debt. Let me put this into like a different scenario. Maybe that'll make a little more sense. Husbands, dads, have you ever been frustrated by the phrase, I don't have anything to wear? Yeah, <laughs> yes. That's the first time a couple of you have smiled because you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't have anything to wear. It's like that closet says otherwise, right? But I'm not just gonna pick on the ladies, all right? So ladies, especially wives, I know that you've been frustrated by the phrase, I don't have the tools for that, right? <laughs> I know you've heard it. I have like within the last like two weeks have said that to my wife. And I know what the, what the wives are thinking. They're like, I look in that garage and I see this corner of tools and it seems to be growing and by the way, I thought we were saving this month, but there's more tools. And now that I'm asking you for something, now you don't have all the tools you need. Sure, you need to go buy more, I bet. Like, I, she says, I have nothing. Now, what she has may be small. It may seem insignificant. It may not be enough. And what we have often may be a little too little. It may be small. It may be insignificant. It may not be enough. 
We think like, there's no way I can get on that stage and preach like Adam. How am I supposed to impact the world, bring people to Christ? I can't get up here and sing like Emily. I can't get up here and sing like Emily, you know? Like, how am I supposed to come up here and do what she does and like make this impact in the world? I'm not as great with kids as Miss Rebecca. I'm not as great with the organization and figuring out how to get all the new people involved as Miss Tammy. I don't know how to do all this stuff. Like, I don't really have anything to bring to the table here. My marriage is suffering and I don't really have what it takes to make that better. My relationship with my kids or my parents is suffering. I don't really have what it takes to make that better. She may not have had much, but it ain't nothing. It's not nothing. Your nothing is plenty for God. So then, Elisha tells her what she can do with her nothing, okay? He says, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Go to the Smiths, go to the Lee Belts, the Zoologers, the Demetricians, the b sacks go to everybody and ask for all the containers you can get. Don't just ask for a couple. Don't say, can you spare one or two? Get them all. I know that you know Tupperware Tammy. I know you know that lady that's been trying to sell you $1,500 of Tupperware since 1987. I know you know her, okay? And I know that every time she comes and visits your house, you hide all your old KFC containers. You hide all your old Cool Whip containers because you don't want her to know that you're still using that mess instead of buying her Tupperware. Go to her house. Get every spare container she has. Don't just get a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour Pour the oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. There's one weird, odd, little, tiny, easy to overlook thing that happens here. Why does she have to shut the door? Why was that specific instruction given? Like what difference does it make if you shut the door or not? Like can I have like the screen door shut and leave the regular door open? Can I like a breeze through? Like no, shut the door. Go into your house, get alone. I think God wants to make the biggest difference. I think God wants to work the biggest miracles on the inside. If we bring our praise and our worship here to church, to pathways, but we don't invite God into the deep, dark, weird, private places in our hearts and in our lives, then the miracles that God wants to do most will never happen. What happens in your private life Rather, what happens publicly is a reflection of the things that God is doing in your life privately. What happens in your public life is a reflection of what's happening privately. So she goes into her house. She closes the door. Nobody can see how holy she is. Nobody can see how obedient she is. Nobody sees the struggle, but nobody sees the triumph either. She's there alone, just her and her sons. In private, she takes the risk of losing her oil. She's pouring into other people's containers. What if she spills it? What if the jar breaks? What if these other containers are contaminated? This is all I've got. All I have is this oil. All I have is this one little broken relationship left. All I have is this job to define who I am. All I have is this one little thing that I do when nobody's watching. 
That's all I've got. And she's risking losing that. The only valuable thing she has left to be obedient. But she's obedient and she makes that sacrifice in private. And God is about to reward her in public. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he said, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Sell the oil and pay your debts. That's what she wanted. She wanted to get her sons out of slavery. She owed a debt. That's the part that she was asking for in the first place. Sell your oil, pay your debts. But there's gonna be some left over. There's gonna be a lot left over. After you're done paying your debts, live on the rest. Because she was obedient, God did so much more than what she was asking for. But she went into the private, into the dark with her door closed and she was obedient. And she poured out and she kept pouring. What if she stopped at 20 jars? What if that's all she had? She didn't go to everybody's house. Maybe she went to only Tupperware Tammy. She got her 20 jars. She came back, she filled those 20. And then when she's asked for another jar, there's not one and the oil stops pouring. What if she did 50? Let's say she did a hundred jars. What if she had gotten 101? I didn't say this in the first service, but I'll say to you now that I think God's provision matches the level of our obedience. So when she stopped, when the last jar was empty and she was finally done being obedient, she didn't cut it short. She went till every last jar was full. She went until the job was complete. So pour out until the job is complete. Don't come. The tendency we have is to get tired with relationships that are broken, with circumstances that are hard, with our money running out, with our energy, our social uh, energy running out, our anxiety running up, we get tired. And we're like, I just really need this week to be a good week, so I'm gonna go to church this Sunday. I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship, I know that worship makes a difference, so I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna worship, I'm gonna praise, I'm gonna lift my hands. And we praise and then we, start, we feel a little better. And we're like, that's enough, that's good enough. I feel a little relief. I feel a little bit better. I think I can make it through this week now. What if that's what she did? She stops when she's like, this is enough to pay my kids debts. What if that's when she stopped? But she didn't. She kept going. We stop when we get comfortable, but I wanna encourage you to keep pouring out and God will provide more than what you ever thought. If you're looking for a breakthrough and you're looking for a miracle, don't stop at a little relief. Keep going. Because when we worship, when we praise, when we bring that sacrifice of praise, when we pour out, God moves and he speaks and he provides, he heals and he restores and he protects. And even if he didn't, he's still worthy of that sacrifice of praise anyways. So this lady in this story, it gives us something to think about with that sacrifice of praise. It gives us a little idea of that. It teaches us a little bit of what that is. But what are you gonna study this week? If it's not that, 
If it's not praise and worship, what's the theme that you're gonna pick this week? If you fill in this blank, what are you gonna look for in the Bible? Are you gonna try to learn a little more about being a good husband or a good wife, about being a good parent? Do you wanna know what it means to be sanctified? Is that a word that's been confusing? Do you wanna know, look into that a little more? You wanna know, uh, you want a better understanding of the Holy Spirit? What's your theme? If you're taking notes, if you're writing this down, go ahead and put something on this line. Fill this in, pick a theme and ask your questions. If you don't know where to start for looking things up, you can go get a, Bible, a study Bible. You can go to a bookstore and find a study Bible if you, got, if you don't already have one. You can get really in-depth and you can get a concordance and that'll show you where every single word is used in the Bible. So if the word praise comes up 400 times, it'll show you all 400 verses and where they're at. So you can get a concordance if you wanted to. And if you wanna start really simple, just Google it. There's no shame in Googling what's in the Bible. Where is... Uh, marriage in the, talked about in the Bible and Google it and see what the Bible says. Read your Bible and see what it says. Take some notes and find ways to apply that in your life. And before we get ready to leave, I do have one more question. What sacrifice do you need to make? What's the sacrifice, the thing that you've held on to that you haven't poured out that you know God has been asking for? You know there's something left and you think it's that little bit that you're tucking away. You think that's not valuable. You think it's not enough. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your talent. Maybe it's something that you're incredibly insecure about. Whatever it is, what is this thing that you haven't surrendered to God yet that you think is insignificant? Because when you start pouring that out, God wants to do something in your life. The lady in our story was willing to risk losing everything. And God gave her more than she ever thought possible. So what are you holding on to behind closed doors? Do you mind bowing your heads with me? This week, let's ask God to show us what we've been unwilling to pour out. And let's ask him to give us some instructions. What do I do with this, God? I've got my jar of oil. I've got this thing that I don't wanna pour at, that I've held on to for long enough and I'm ready to see some breakthrough. I've already got a couple things in my mind, some fears, some insecurities of mine. God, instruct me on what to do to pour this out to you. Dear Heavenly Father, just speak to these people this morning. Speak to us. Give us an idea of what it is that we need to pour out to you what we can do to get closer to you and be obedient to you and to your word and your voice, God. Whatever we're holding on to that we've kept for ourselves, whatever we've been hiding and protecting, God, I pray that we're just willing to surrender that to you. God, so that we can see you move in our lives in a way that we've never seen before, so that we can be closer to you and give you the, the, our entire being that you deserve to have, God. And I pray that for the community of people that are in this building, God, that as we discover and we find these things that we need to pour out to you, that we would go to our small group leaders, that we would go to our, um, our serve team leaders, that we would go to the people that we can trust and confide in, and that we would work on these together. Even the widow had her sons behind the closed doors with her to follow these instructions together. And God, we know this is private, but it doesn't have to be lonely. 
I pray that we do this with each other as a community to build each other up and to grow together. With your head still bowed, with your eyes still closed, maybe you're here and you've never taken that first step with Christ. Maybe you're watching online and you've never taken that first step with Christ. You haven't surrendered anything to him. We talk about every week that grace and that love and that mercy. And you wanna know more about that. You wanna experience that. If that's you, your first step is to surrender yourself, your life, to give it to God. So if that's you, if you're ready, you're willing and you're thinking, I need that provision, I need that love, I need that safety. I'm ready to let go of everything that I've held onto that's broken. I'm ready to let go of myself and I want God to do something with me. I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand right now. I see your hand in the back, right here. And over here on this side. If you're online, I know I can't see you raise your hand right now, but you can use the chat box and there's somebody moderating so that they can respond to you. If you put something in the chat box, just let us know that you're giving your life to Christ this morning. I want you guys to just raise your hands. I wanna lead you guys in a prayer. And saying it out loud is great. I'm gonna ask you to say it out loud, but I also want you to mean it in your heart. And here at Pathways, we pray together. So I want everybody to join these people in unity and pray after me. Dear God, I believe in you. And I believe in your son, Jesus. Please forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. Help me to give you control of my life. Please be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. Look, there are people that just made the biggest decision they'll ever make in their entire life. Can we celebrate with them for a second?